0: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Dermer. He is the author of a book called The Lonely Entrepreneur. The difference between success and failure is your perspective. He is a successful entrepreneur himself. Welcome to The Money Answer Show, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to get into more detail about your story, but before we do that, just kind of give us your general background uh, leading into your entrepreneurial success.
2: So I was a uh, corporate lawyer. Uh, I was doing mergers and acquisitions in New York City and literally stumbled upon a business uh, to reward people for healthy behavior. And I wasn't a healthcare guy, I wasn't a technology guy, I stumbled across this in the early 2000s and built the first company to basically reward people for being healthy and then you know, built that up over the course of, the, uh, of about a decade, uh, only to watch it almost be destroyed overnight by the financial crisis, um, and then kind of spent two years basically trying to save a business that we had spent 10 years building, uh, and then came out the other end of that and, and successfully sold it to a healthcare technology company, um, and, you know, went through that kind of whole life-changing experience as an entrepreneur. That's what uh, brought me to where we are today.
1: So what was it that allowed you psychologically to give up a kind of comfortable, well-paying legal job to make the switch into entrepreneurship, which is so unpredictable and unsure, uh, although potentially more rewarding?
2: You know, for me, it was the idea. Um,
1: you know, I came across a statistic that
2: said for every 10 women that, follow, that don't follow their prenatal care, um, the system, the healthcare system loses a million dollars. So I was like, wait a minute. So if we just rewarded these 10 women with $10,000 each, the healthcare system would save $900,000? And people that I knew in the healthcare industry said, yep. And I said, well, what about diabetes? What about heart disease? What about asthma? And they said, yes, we know what we want people to do and how much money we save. So for me, it was the idea that was compelling. And then once, once that idea gets in your head, probably like a lot of entrepreneurs, it was off to the races. It was an obsession for me and, didn't seem like there was any path other than to go and, and start this business.
1: Very good. So um, let's start a little broader here about the entrepreneurial environment now. So some would say it's the best of all times to start an entrepreneurial business. You can do things online. You don't need a lot of overhead uh, and so on. And some would say it's the worst of times uh, that uh, you know it's very hard because big companies have all kinds of Um, advantages, what would you assess the entrepreneurial environment these days?
2: Um, There's definitely a yin and a yang to it. Um, There's no question that it will probably be the most um, exhilarating and rewarding, you know, personal and professional experience you can have. And at the same time, you know, the most gut-wrenching and soul-searching experience that that you'll ever go through. Um, Unlike other things in your life, there's very little that combines, you know, your head and your heart, if you will. Um, And uh, if you go into the entrepreneurial world, it's not like they hand you a membership card, right? Um, And when you go there, you have to realize that that just the nature of the beast, uh, it is not for the faint of heart, but... um, the rewards that can come from it are are somewhat immeasurable as long as you're willing to to deal with the you know the slings and arrows along the way.
1: I mean, typically people say that four out of five businesses fail within the first year. You know all these horrible statistics. What what is the major reason that most entrepreneurial ventures fail?
2: Um, you know, from my opinion, again, I'm I'm, I'm pretty biased at this point. Um, I really believe that it, it's actually the entrepreneurial experience itself and the inability to deal with the pressure, right. And being under that pressure and actually make good business decisions. So I'll give you an example. Um, entrepreneurs will say things like I have to do everything right. And that's natural, but it also stunts your growth, right. Or somebody will be so impassioned by their idea. They'll say, well, I understand there's a hundred places out there that make meatballs, but they're not meatballs like my meatballs. Right. So we become blinded by the pressure, And, you know, whether our business should succeed or fail should be based on whether the market we're serving wants it. And I think a lot of times the mere nature of the entrepreneurial experience creates a pressure and causes us to develop these perspectives like the ones I just mentioned that actually stunt our progress and never let us get there. So I think that's actually the fundamental building block that that a lot of entrepreneurs lack.
1: So is it necessary for an entrepreneur to have somebody else as kind of a, perspective on it, that you're not so wrapped up and you think yours is the best when there's other things out there that are similar, to have a consultant or somebody, an accountability partner, so that you're not kind of wrapped up in your own head and, and think you're going to be successful when, in fact, you don't have anything that's that unique?
2: Yeah, it, it's, it really is a valuable tool because, you know, we say when you're an entrepreneur, you're under the influence of four P's, you know, pressure, passion, pleasure, and pain. And when you're under that influence, you do exactly as you just said, you become blind. And unless somebody can really tell you in an honest, candid way um, about what what the puts and takes and the goods and bads of your business are, it's really difficult for you to see that, you know, yourself. Unfortunately, a lot of times when you go to family members, you go to spouses, you go to friends, um, you don't actually get the the honest truth. And in other cases, you know, you, you do get the honest truth, but you don't hear it. Um, so, having independent third parties that you trust, that, that know you believe in something, but also that are willing to be candid with you, are invaluable resources, not just when you start your business, but at every stage along the way.
1: So, how do you know if you've got something unique? There's so many ideas out there, there's so many entrepreneurs, there's so much venture capital backing all kinds of different things, particularly internet businesses and apps. How do you know that you've got something that's unique, that that's, has kind of long-term Uh, potential to really grow
2: well here's what i would say you know there are lots of businesses that that don't necessarily change the world but you apply them to the right pocket can be really really valuable businesses um i'll give you an example so a bunch of my early guys were telecom guys and they developed this idea of having every individual having their own personal phone number that you would just program the ring you know on your home phone on these hours, on your cell phone on these hours, and your office phone on these hours, right? Remember, this is like 10 years ago. And they went to the phone companies, and the phone companies said, we're not interested in that. We don't want to reduce the number of lines, uh, numbers people have. Um, what we ended up doing is going to credit card companies and offering this personal 800 number as a credit card acquisition incentive, right? And it took uh-huh. off like gangbusters. So I wouldn't say that it's naturally you know, in a vacuum, That ideas always work or don't work. Remember, all the technology for the iPhone existed for many, many years before the iPhone came about. So, yes, there are change the world businesses, but there are a lot of businesses that just by virtue of playing in a playground where nobody else is playing, that you can create real value. And that's where really, with all the limitations that entrepreneurs have, you know, no capital, no resources, the one thing they do have is creativity. And so it's not in a vacuum whether that business has value,
1: but can you find a pocket where you're standing out from the crowd? What, what kind of temperament does one need? Everybody's talking today about temperament at the presidential level. What kind of temperament do you need to be able to handle the slings and arrows of entrepreneurship and still come out successful with, as you say, there's going to be these ups and downs, um, knowing in advance that that's going to be? I mean, So who is right to be a successful entrepreneur and who is it not right for?
2: You know, it's, it's a really good question because you have to have
1: the, the passion and the energy
2: to drive an idea forward. And that tends to be very emotional and visceral, right? There are times where you will look at the landscape and any reasonable person would say, it's ridiculous to keep going. So in some sense, it's a very visceral, emotional thing. But at the same time, you have to have, be someone that has an even keel, Right. For, for exactly the reasons you said, you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs, you're going to have ins, you're going to have out. It's the nature of the beast. So that's why it's, it's this entrepreneurism is such a personal experience because you've got to be able to deal with the ups and downs and lead your company. And at the same time, you've got to have the energy and emotion and the passion to make, to drive people past what's right in front of them. I know I'll give you an example in my company, um, when it almost got destroyed by the financial crisis, um, despite all the crazy things that were going on around us, I knew that I had to walk in the office every single day um, with my head held high, smiling, even though it was pretty likely another one of my customers was going to be bankrupt and on the front page of the Wall Street Journal the next day. And I'll never forget that during all that time, one time a customer that said that they were going to stick with us called back two weeks later and said they couldn't. And I pounded my hand on the desk and I threw this little rubber baseball I had in my office against the wall. And many, many years later, one of my employees said to me, you know, Michael, we never worried about the company during all that time, other than the day you pounded your fist on the desk. You know, so, so it's a very personal, emotional thing. And you have to bring that passion and energy to it. But you really do have to be chill and even keeled to be able to deal with the ups and downs. So it's, it's very much back that of yin and yang we were talking about before.
1: So keeping the uh, morale of the employees is very important because in many cases they're going to take less money up front because they believe in the idea and they want a big payoff later on when the company is sold or IPO or something like that. Is that the idea? Yeah, I mean, you have to get people bought into
2: the vision, right? Um, There are always people that can go across the street for more money, um, more perks, more this, more that. And um, it's hard to do. I mean, really the job of the leader is to keep everybody saying, this is where we're going. Do you want to be part of it or not? And not only just less money, people are going to work harder. But one of the things that I learned along the way is you really have to, as the leader, you understand what what you're in it for. You actually have to wake up every day, not going, well, these people aren't working hard enough or I'm paying them too much, but how you actually make that vision come to life for them. What do they actually get out of the business as opposed to what you get out of the business? And once you have that aha moment that you actually you know, serve them and, and serve customers and serve employees, that's when I think you really make the transition from uh, kind of just waddling through to actually leading uh, and being the type of entrepreneurial leader that can get employees lined up to that vision.
1: So what kind of incentives did you give your employees to join you as a startup? Did you get them private stock, or how did they benefit when the stock the company was ultimately bought out? Um, I know for me, uh, I was really focused on when the company was
2: growing about how I could really kind of get everybody aligned and unlock performance and all that kind of stuff. And, and here's what I did. Um, I went and asked every one of my employees the following question. I said, tell me what you want. And, you know, the first, the first responses I got were, well, I want to learn our product better. I want to learn how to do Excel. I want to learn how to go to sales presentation. I said, no, no, I don't want to know what you want in our business. I want to know what you want. What do you want in life? And after the skepticism went away, what we found out was that, you know, somebody wanted to learn how to cook. Another one of our gals wanted to be an opera singer. um, And the list goes on and on and on. And then what we did was we figured out a way to use company resources to get them those things that they wanted. And what we found was that, that if we were the vehicle to get them what they wanted, they were more than happy to, to work harder, work smarter, be a bigger part of the team. So it wasn't just about what happens at the end when somebody sells a company. It was more about if I'm associated with this entrepreneurial venture, I actually get closer to the things I want in life by virtue of being associated with this venture, and it was, a, it was an
1: amazing experience. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Michael Dermer. Uh, he is the author of a book called The Lonely Entrepreneur. The Difference Between Success and Failure is Your Perspective. You can find out more at his website, which is lonelyentrepreneur.com. We'll be back after this.
3: The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Dermer. He's the author of a new book called The Lonely Entrepreneur. The difference between success and failure is your perspective. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you. So I want to get into more detail of what you call the four P's of entrepreneurship, and these are the different perspectives to make you successful. The first one is pressure. So explain what pressure an entrepreneur faces and how you're supposed to be dealing with it to be a successful entrepreneur.
2: You know, so if you think about, um, you know, seven out of ten entrepreneurs these days actually leave a job to start their own business. Um, So imagine some of the pressure that goes with that. You're going to leave all the the, the confines of, for me, it was a law firm and others or their, you know, their job or whatever it might be. And, and some of the pressure that comes from, okay, now I have to kind of eat what I kill. Um, a lot of times part of the pressure comes from the fact that you, you know, it's great that that friends and family might give you a little bit of capital to start with, but then there's pressure, you know, you feel always indebted to them. Um, I know when I had my family's money in the company, I wish, that when my company almost collapsed, I could write him a check and just give it back. So I think the natural pressure of kind of going out on your own, especially financial, um, sometimes you have families where you have one or two of the parents are out there, you know, trying to start a business and support a family. And that it, pressure is is real. And then there's personal pressure of, you know, do I have what it takes to actually, you know, take this this idea that I have and, and lead it forward? So I think it's it's both personal and financial.
1: A lot of people go through schools um, and are really taught to be employees, not running businesses. How do you make that mental shift from being an employee to being you know somebody who owns and is responsible for the business? You know, if you think about a lot of entrepreneurs, they have a skill. So think of a, a clinician in healthcare
2: or a, a fashionista, right, or a technologist who writes code. And, you know, when you go and you start your business, you have a very specific skill. Let's say you're a heart surgeon, right? Um, very, very different from running a business. Um, there's a whole chapter in the book that's called, Like It or Not, You Need to Be CEO. And so I think when you go and you, you start a business, you have to understand that whether or not you want to be the leader, you are the leader. Um, and when you do that, hopefully, even before you start, even before you make the leap, you have to say, Sure, I understand that I would sit around and design shoes or write code all day long, but am I willing to become a better entrepreneur? Am I willing to learn the skills I don't have to embrace the fact that there's things that I'm not good at that I have to bring other people in and understand that being an entrepreneur is not a job, it's an identity. And if you think of it that way, then you have to think of yourself as, do I have what it takes and am I really going to embrace the journey of getting better at these pieces because it's not good enough to sit around and just write code in the wee hours
1: of the night. So as you're saying, people go into a business because they have a specific skill, whether it be a heart surgeon or coder or something like that. Does it make sense to have the concept and early on bring in a business person, a business manager so they can keep doing their heart surgery or writing their code? or Because to switch from that expertise whatever it may be into running a business and raising money and running the books, and making payroll is, is a huge switch for an awful lot of people.
2: Absolutely. In fact, that's some of the stuff that weighs down people the most. Uh, I'll give an example. I have a friend who's a therapist, and we were just having incredible success in growing her practice. And we were talking about how she was doing her accounting, and she was literally doing her accounting on Excel and spending 20 hours a month doing accounting that way, even though there's 100 free software packages for small businesses on accounting, right? So To your point, um, knowing what you don't know, Uh, and even if it's bringing somebody in for 10 hours a week right, to help you with those types of things or having somebody that complement your skills, it goes back to what you said before. If you just think yourself as, as an employer having one role and that's what it really means to be an entrepreneur, that's not the case. You have to say, like it or not, I'm the leader, and what does this company have to be able to do? And if I don't know or if I have skills that, don't fill out that actual roster, which they normally don't. How do I bring in somebody early that can help me say, here's the other things I don't know? And frankly, that also helps you avoid being weighed down by those things. Um, there's so many people that talk about the things that you mentioned, you know, the operational elements of a business, that those are the things that don't overwhelm them, not the creative part of creating their unique, you know, unique product or service.
1: All right, so we're going to go through the four P's. We, we started with pressure. The second P is passion. So... How do you get a passion for something and how do you kind of manage that passion so the business is successful?
2: You know, when it comes to getting a passion for something, it, it's, I'll use an old quote from a Supreme Court Justice, Earl Warren, when he was asked about the definition of, of pornography. He said, he says, I don't know what it is, I just know it when I see it, right? And um, the same thing's true about a passion. Uh, for me, rewards for healthy be- behavior, um, the passion comes. It doesn't, it's not something that you sit around and think about cerebrally, it just comes. But, but I think once you have it, the problem with passion is it makes you really blind. Um, and so somebody will say, okay, I have this idea. It's completely unique. And when you get feedback from others, right, you're blinded by that passion. Think about how many people go to start restaurants, and all of their friends and colleagues say to them, well, you realize 9 out of 10 will fail. And they go, yeah, 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 but not, not my meatballs, right? And sometimes that passion just makes us blind. And as opposed to saying, okay, how do I be thoughtful about the criticisms that I'm getting so I can make, so I can make this better? So a lot of times all of that, all that passion makes you go forward. I mean, even with respect to you might be interviewing an employee that's going to be your first employee, right? And you're so passionate about your business that you're so anxious to get that employee uh, in the door. That you'll ignore kind of all the flaws of this incredibly important hire that you have. So uh, it's really, really difficult when you have the energy and that visual experience of something that is so compelling to you that it makes you leave your job, invest your money, and at the same time, be thoughtful enough to be able to think and be critical of that idea. It's almost like somebody telling you your baby is ugly, Right. Um, you have to be able to take that in a way that you can digest it and actually give your passion a better a better chance of success. It's really hard to
1: do. The idea is to have passion, but don't let it blind you, is what you're saying when it comes down to it. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Your third P is pleasure. So pleasure is not something people typically think of with entrepreneurship. They think of it as hard work. So what role does pleasure pay play in having a successful entrepreneurial venture?
2: Well, here's what I would say. Um, think about Uh, The times that you got as an entrepreneur, you got your your first deal, your first investment, even your first logo or business card. I mean, do we think that there's people in corporate America, you know, high-fiving and hugging the first time they get business cards? I mean, that's the nature of the beast when you're an entrepreneur. I mean, part of this pleasure is the fact that it's not this antiseptic experience. That the first investment money you have, the first real customer you have, I mean, I can remember mine to this day. Um, It's a high that's really hard you describe, and that, you know, you are under that influence. That is like a drug to you. And so, uh, you know, some analogies that people use are like that, the golfer that hits, you know, 94 bad shots, but one really, really good one. (laughs) And it's that what, you know, keeps them coming back. And so that pleasure of of winning deals and seeing success and, and a lot of times seeing what was just an idea come to life and investors and employees and customers and money is can really... Um, really create energy, sometimes positive and sometimes negative for you.
1: But the flip side of that is your fourth P, which is pain. So I guess you can't have all pleasure. There's got to be some pain. What role does dealing with pain have uh, in creating a successful venture?
2: Yeah, if by definition what you're doing in your own mind is something new or unique, it's going to be unproven in certain ways. And what's going to come with that is barbs, right? You're going to have situations where you're not going to have all the capital or the money or the resources, you know, you're going to work on something for months and find a new competitor. Um, That is the nature of the beast when you are an entrepreneur. And so you really have to be able to think about um, that. It's not the pain at that particular moment. It's really thinking about this whole idea of as entrepreneur as an identity. You know, you're going on a journey, just like a, a mom would go on a journey to become a better mother right? Or a golfer goes on a journey to be a better golfer. Um, it's not about that one shot, right? Or the one day you, you couldn't get your child to go to sleep. Um, it's about how do you how do you handle that pain, right? Along the way, take it in, digest it, and, and keep letting the entrepreneurial spirit go forward um, while you hopefully learn and get better at, you know, why you experienced that pain. But it is just the, you know, these four things are just the nature of the beast.
1: So why are you emphasizing lonely? I mean, in, in your title, it's called the lonely entrepreneur. Uh, an entrepreneur, by their nature, is involved with all these people: their customers and their employees, and uh, their bankers and financiers and family. It seems like a very much of a unlonely kind of a existence.
2: That's what's so interesting about it is that you know what we found was that whether you're the individual person you know working out of your bedroom or somebody running a thousand-person company. All the things that we've been talking about, the pressure, the passion, right? The whole idea of where money comes from and the influences of the employees relying on you, right? All of those things makes it an incredibly lonely experience. And so when you think about, okay, I've got to be CEO, but I haven't really been trained to do it. And I've got employees relying on me and investors gave me their money. And my, you know, my wife or husband is, it has faith in me, but our, our kids' education relies on that. I mean, think about all of that coming together even if you have a 1,000-person company. Um, it is a unique experience to sit in that entrepreneurial chair. Um, and so what we're trying to do with the Lonely Entrepreneur is actually help people with that, with that struggle.
1: Is business school helpful in teaching yourself the business skills uh, to become a good entrepreneur, or are they more designed to help people become employees of companies?
2: Um, there's no question that some of the fundamental building blocks Right, like organizational structure, things that really, really can help entrepreneurs in spades. Um, you know, it's not things that entrepreneurs normally have. Um, I think that other things like emotional intelligence. I would argue that that things that actually help entrepreneurs deal with the struggle. Some of the things you know we've been talking about here should be taught more um, in business school. Um, so I think that they're trying to trying to you know include. Uh, more of the formal training, along with some of the things that it takes about um, creating new markets and being entrepreneurial. Um, but I can say to you that that the more entrepreneurs that are formally trained on the building blocks of a business, um, I think really can value, uh, really can be valuable to them as they as they get out there and move beyond just you know the idea and actually how to put in action. You know, there's a lot of people that can come up with ideas. There are people that can then take those ideas and actually turn it into something. Um, and I think that's where some of the more formal training on this school can really help.
1: There are quite a few programs at business schools these days specifically designed to become entrepreneurs, like the Entrepreneurial Center. Uh, there are these um, incubators, I guess they call them, to help people. Do you think that's a good idea for somebody who wants to become an entrepreneur to go into a, a program like that?
2: Absolutely. And I can, I mean, it's almost everywhere now. Um, there isn't a major university out there that doesn't have a significant entrepreneurship program. But the other thing that they've been teaching for some time now is also, you know, emotional intelligence. And that's something that you really have to be able to develop as an entrepreneur. Um, so I think that uh, people understand that a lot of the job growth in America is not going to come from corporate America. Um, between, you know, mergers and acquisitions and outsourcing and technology, people understand that entrepreneurism is here to stay and it's the job growth. So I think that um, it's being embraced not only in the universities, but I think, but, but in incubators and accelerator, accelerators alike. But it is this combination of formal training and dealing with the struggle and emotional intelligence that I think has to all come together to give people the building blocks to have the best chance of success.
1: Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Dermer. He's the author of a book called The Lonely Entrepreneur, The Difference Between Success and Failure is Your Perspective. You can find out more about it at his website, which is LonelyEntrepreneur.com. We'll be back after this.
3: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network.
0: It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Dermer. He is the author of The Lonely Entrepreneur, The Difference Between Success and Failure is Your Perspective. His website is LonelyEntrepreneur.com. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thanks a lot. So there's a story you tell called the bison ices story. So tell us briefly what happened there and what lessons people can learn from that story.
2: So I went to Bucknell University where the the nickname is the bison. And when you're a business major there, you run a business. And the business we ran were basically Italian ices on these portable bicycles. You know, Bucknell is a bunch of engineers and they figured out how to rig these portable ice buckets to the front of a bicycle. And so anytime there was an event around Bucknell in Lewisburg, um, we would, you know, peddle our wares to the environmental event or the basketball game. And it wasn't uncommon for, you know, somebody to call back to the home base and say, oh, my God, we're out of blueberry. And somebody would, you know, peddle some blueberry Italian ices down there. Um, I think to this day it's the second highest grossing company in the history of Bucknell. I don't know if that's still true, but it was at the time. But what was interesting about it was there was a gentleman by the name of Randy Wakeford, who was essentially our director of operations, and I was CEO. And many, many years later, 10 years later, I was in a gym in Hoboken, New Jersey, when I had just come up with the idea of my company. And I looked across the gym, and I saw a guy with a Bucknell sweatshirt who looked really familiar, and it was Randy. And I said, hey, Randy, uh, I have this idea. I wonder if you want to help me with it a little bit. He was just starting to do some early work on this thing called the Internet. And we got together, and long story short, um, Randy became my first employee of my new company and essentially my director of operations. So we went from being CEO and director of operations from Bison Isis to CEO and director of operations to my company, which was called uh, called Incent One.
1: So what lessons did you learn from Bison Isis that you applied to uh, Incent You know, it's exactly
2: what we talked about before, is it's all how you go to market. Um, There are many, many great products and services out there that it's really where you pick your spot. And, you know, so if you think about things like Italian Ices, the only things that we did differently was we went to market. So instead of selling Italian Ices, you know, one by one, we would go to the environmental society and say, instead of charging people a dollar for an Italian ice, we'll give them away for free and you'll give us 50 cents for every Italian ice out of your budget. Right? So I learned pretty really quickly that it's more about how you go to market than necessarily the product or service. You always have to have a quality product or service, but going to market was really where, always where my mind went um, you know, as I thought about building my business.
1: So when you have a great idea, how do you protect it so nobody can steal it? but still share it enough to get feedback from the marketplace to see if it's realistic? It's a
2: really tough thing to do because, as you know, with the Internet and the lack of you know, protections of patents and trademarks like the past, um, I wouldn't spend too much time you know, trying to protect it. I think certainly you're going to go to trusted advisors right, and try to get influence or, or try to get feedback from people that you know and you trust. Um, but even if there's somebody that doesn't know about you, or there's a really good idea that there's somebody in Shanghai who has the same idea. So it's really more about getting to market in a way that's different. You know, you you read the book, if you read the book, you know, Blue Ocean, it talks about creating your own markets. And I really think that's what it's about. Because even if you protected it, did all the work, and actually got it to market first, somebody else tomorrow, right, could knock it off in two seconds, for most businesses anyway. So um, certainly you want to try to protect yourself with, you know, non-disclosure agreements and talking to people that you trust, but ultimately it's how do you put your talent and your creativity into a finding a go-to-market strategy that differentiates you from, you know, from the marketplace. I keep going back to the iPhone, right? That technology existed for years. Uh, and somebody just went about, uh, doing it in a pretty cool way that now happens to impact you know, every minute of our day, <laughs>
1: So in an in investment world, a lot of people talk about moats and making a wide moat to protect your business against competitors. Is that something an entrepreneur can even think about? And since you don't haven't even created the business yet, how can you create a moat?
2: It's hard to create a moat, but what I would say is one of the techniques I think entrepreneurs should think more seriously about is it's not just necessary to build a business completely from scratch. You know, build it up, raise a little bit of money, hire your team, you know, raise some more money. Um... These days, you've got, you know, corporate America and companies throughout the world that have all the things that entrepreneurs lack. They have cash. They have resources. They have
3: distribution.
2: So a lot of times, if you say, hey, I have a really good idea, but I just don't think it's going to get to market quick enough to make a difference, um, why not do something strategic with a big corporation? Um, I'll tell you an example from my company. When we went to start our business to reward people to being healthy, um, we went to American Express and said, listen, we're about to build this rewards business in healthcare, but we shouldn't build it. You already have American Express rewards. We should just simply do a joint venture and plop our idea on top of your backbone. Instead of rewarding people for getting on an airplane, you're going to reward people for getting a mammogram and for not eating donuts. So I think that there's opportunities to create moats by leveraging you know, the cash on the balance sheets of larger companies, as well as the resources and distribution, uh, you know, that they already have. Did American Express agree to that? It's funny. We got about 80% of the way through a joint venture discussion, and their brand folks freaked out a little bit. Um, Their brand folks got really concerned that if, God forbid, somebody had a negative health event, um, when when somebody was being rewarded that they had spent you know a hundred years building this Amex brand and we never got over that, but <laughs> so we never ended up doing it. But um, imagine today, um, American Express would own the healthcare system. You would be, basically get American Express rewards for everything you do, uh, you know, in healthcare. It just didn't happen to come to pass.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. How about if you have an idea uh, that's patentable and you, you even get a patent or a trademark instead of creating a company yourself? How about going to companies that make something similar, or there are these companies out there that'll say they'll help you get your patent or trademarked idea to industry? Is is that a legitimate thing? I've I've heard a lot of bad things about those kind of companies. So so there's a mix, right? Um, some of them,
2: which are just basically we're going to bring the idea to life, um, I think a lot of them are not that legitimate. However, there are folks in individual industries, right, that play and live in those industries and they understand how things get done. They know where money's moving. They know who's funding them. You know, they know where the investment bankers live. So I think that if you had an idea in healthcare, if you had an idea in fashion, spending the time to not watch, you know, the infomercial with the companies that you're talking about, but actually go find people that have done deals in the space and go poking around. Um, There are people that actually will put together, you know, buyers and sellers, if you will, in a, in a legitimate fashion. So you just have to you have to play in those spaces and, and go find who's playing there.
1: So let's get a little bit into the specific story of your own company, which is called IncentOne, the one you had. So just tell me a little bit about the beginning. You have the idea. How did you get about funding it at the very beginning?
2: So at the beginning, it was uh, some money that, that I put in and my brother put in to, to get it going, and then we kind of started to incrementally you know, build it up, you know, in the early 2000s, um, typical entrepreneurial stuff, you know, working many, many hours a day, just kind of blood, sweat, and tears along the way. And, um, you know, we had uh, people really liked the idea and the concept, except the healthcare industry, <laughs> the healthcare industry said, um, why would we reward the people that are doing the worst? And our answer was, well, wait a minute. These people are costing you money when a diabetic doesn't go get their annual screening and they end up in the emergency room. Um, you know, how do we, we're the ones that are paying the cost for that. That took many, many years to get through. And, you know, so you talked about some of the comments we made before about, you know, how do you have the vision and the passion to stay true? We just knew it made sense. Um, what we probably didn't know was just how long it was going to take for that to be adopted. You know, today, if you walk in Walgreens, for example, there are, I think, 120 million people in a program called Walgreens Balance Rewards, which is essentially a reward program for healthcare. Um But it took years and years and years. So in the early days, we very much believed in what we were doing. Um, we believed that the economic, economic model made clear sense and would make even more sense as health care costs grew in the country. But I can tell you that those early days... Um, We knew it was going to be an uphill battle, and so it was your typical work, 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 you know, bring along entrepreneurial folks onto the team that, um, you know, to this day are near and dear to my heart.
1: So you have to take a lot of rejection to get something adopted because people are very cautious about uh, implementing new ideas. Is that what you're saying? That's probably true of any entrepreneurial situation.
2: Yeah, and, and the more different it is, right, the more groundbreaking it is, right, The more that's going to happen. Think about, um, Starbucks, right? Starbucks is like, listen, the way we're going to grow is we're going to, we're going to put real estate on every corner in America, right? And oh, by the way, if, and, and there's no shortage of coffee, right? I'm in New York City, right? There's no shortage of really good coffee, but we're going to plop a store every three blocks. And if we happen to get nobody to buy coffee, we're stuck with all this real estate. I mean, think about that. Think about Amazon. You know, no one's going to ever buy a book in a store again those companies took billions and billions of dollars of losses to get there. So the more different and groundbreaking the ideas are, the more rejection, right, you're going to take. And it's just a matter of whether that idea is really, is really, really sound. I mean, I used to kind of kid around and, and say something like, you know you're in a little bit of trouble when you, when you get kicked between the legs and you stop noticing. <laughs> um, and you just get used to it, but it is, is really important to understand and try to take stock. Of, of when that's a message and when versus when it's just kind of the nature of the beast for a, a new and creative idea.
1: In your case, you were not selling to individuals, you were selling to companies. Are they even more difficult uh, to convince of a new idea, if, because of the, the decision-making process is committees and it takes a long time, as opposed to an entrepreneurial situation where you're selling to individuals, where you can make sales you know, to individuals?
2: You know, I always thought that selling to individuals was harder. Um, because there was so much clutter with consumers and marketing and things like that. It wasn't so much that ours was any more difficult in selling to, you know, health plans and big employers. Uh, it was more the healthcare system. You know, the healthcare system just doesn't introduce new ideas and concepts, you know, so quickly. Think about some of the things that we've had in the healthcare system for many, many, many years that never changed. So it was more of that, the nature of the healthcare beast than it was, you know, B2B versus, uh, versus
1: B to C. So let's talk about the end process now when you're selling it, when do you decide it's time to cash in and is, is that like giving up your baby or what are the emotions of selling uh, at the end?: Well the big
2: event for us is that after building up our company for 10 years um, or, or a good period of time, you know we almost watched it get destroyed in the financial crisis. And so right after that, we spent the next two years of working you know 20 hours a day to basically save what it take, had taken us, you know, 10 years to build. And so when we came out the other side of that process um, of a crazy two years um, and the business started to get stabilized and, and we really saw that that rewards in healthcare was taking off, um, it was time for us. Um, you know, the market was rising. Um, the market understood, we think, partly because of our efforts, the importance that rewards were going to play. And we had also come through this experience. So it was really a kind of a, a consolidation of a bunch of factors coming together at the same time. Um, here's what I can tell you. For me, um, I was an old mergers and acquisitions lawyer in my early days. And so I knew you can't, if you're not ready to give up your baby, you can't. You know, you can't be, for back of a better term, a little bit pregnant, right? If you're ready to make the leap, you've got to be ready. You've got to soul search and, and be ready to do it. Once you do it, um, things are going to change, Right? And that's just the nature of the animal. So for me, I knew that, that once you kind of go over to the other side, it's not your, your baby anymore. And I think we were. I think the market factors and where we were, we were, we were ready, and it worked out great.
1: Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Dermer. He's the author of a book called The Lonely Entrepreneur, The Difference Between Success and Failure is Your Perspective. You can find out more at his website, LonelyEntrepreneur.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
3: We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff.
0: What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. And learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our
3: shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Dermer. He's an entrepreneur and the author of a new book called The Lonely Entrepreneur, The Difference Between Success and Failure is Your Perspective. His website is LonelyEntrepreneur.com. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you. Tell people what they can find at LonelyEntrepreneur.com in addition to things about the book.
2: You know, so what we really tried to do with The Lonely Entrepreneur was create a methodology to help people with the struggle. And so at LonelyEntrepreneur.com, we've got a series of coaching programs. One is an online do-it-yourself coaching program. We've got group coaching programs. And then one-on-one coaching programs, um, all of which are wrapped around the Lonely Entrepreneur methodology to help people deal with the struggle by changing their perspective.
1: So since you've uh, sold the company in 2013, what is your next goal here? Well, what's interesting is, you know, when we sold our
2: company, which was doing rewards in healthcare, you know, we got this reputation for being the first company to do it. You know, we just kid around and say... You know, the day before you sell your company, you're an idiot. And the next day, you're brilliant. But we did develop a reputation for really being the leader in that market. And so I was really planning to go and just start a little consulting business around rewards and healthcare. Um, I thought somebody could learn something from our experience, but I was like, you know what? I lived through it once. I don't really want to relive it. Um, but then something strange happened. I, I was doing some entrepreneur coaching. And the one common theme amongst everybody I was coaching was the struggle. And one of them said to me, being an entrepreneur is really lonely. Um, and I was like, wow, is there really a resource out there to help entrepreneurs with the struggle? Uh, and, and that was the beginning of the end, as they said. Um, I started writing uh, the book, uh, bringing out our own stories. And so, uh, believe it or not, um, this has become a passion for me. I felt fortunate to have stumbled upon one great idea, you know, rewards for healthcare. That, that checked a lot of boxes for me. You know, it was important to society. It could help people. It was big picture. And and I feel fortunate to have stumbled upon what I think is another one, which is the lonely entrepreneur. So that's what I do all day these days is really try to find ways to help entrepreneurs, you know, kind of feel better and do better every single day.
1: One of the things you've talked about, you actually have a chapter on it in the book, is called emotional intelligence. Maybe describe a little bit about what that means, emotional intelligence, and what role does it play in running a business?
2: You know, there's so many different situations that come up when you're an entrepreneur, whether it's employees or investors or customers, and, and what you don't realize at first, especially when you're not formally trained in emotional intelligence, is one of the things when there's all this pressure around you, one of the things you have to be able to do is to take in a particular situation and the person and circumstances in front of you and actually deal with them differently each time. Um, the best analogy I've ever heard is a blender right? And you have a bunch of different buttons on the blender, right? You have dice and puree and liquefy, and you don't press the same button every time. You need to be able to look at what's going on in front of you, right? And realize what is the situation? Who's the person there? And how do I actually have the intelligence to understand my emotions and their emotions in such a way that I can apply the, the right solution? And it's a skill, you know, just like everything else that you get, you get better at over time.
1: Another important part of uh, becoming entrepreneurial is investors. Uh, And kind of give me a sense of the investment outlook today. There's crowdfunding. uh, There's the Jobs Act. Uh, Is it easier to raise money today or harder? And what are some tips in in bringing in money from investors? Um,
2: I think it's easier, but it's more complex, right? Um, Remember, most people have had no experience whatsoever at raising money. So as we say in the book, it's like going to Saturn, right? It's like going to another planet with a new language and aliens. And if you've never been there for, it's not just something that you can you can automatically just learn. Um that being said, there's crowdfunding and other sources and things like that. Here's what I would say. Um there's people that do this all day long, right? That that assist people with raising money. Um, you know, there's brokers, there's other folks from the industry. Um, for early-stage entrepreneurs that have no experience with it, I would strongly encourage them to get some type of outside advisor. Sometimes you don't even have to pay them. Sometimes you can give them a piece of what's being raised or just pay them a consulting fee. But if you're serious about raising money, um, trying to learn that on your own is really hard. What I can tell you there is there are some techniques that I think are really important to use in that process. Um, one in particular is when you're talking to investors, um, don't go out there and use superlatives about what you're doing, right? So how do you get somebody to believe what you're doing is pretty cool? Well, every business will go out there and say, we're great, right? And you can imagine investors have heard that over and over again. Here's my advice. Go to the investor and use third parties to validate your greatness. So, for example, let them talk to a customer. You know, if you got your name in the paper, right, reference that. If you got a great employee to join your company, Reference that. Always try to use third parties you know, to validate the greatness of your company. And secondly is don't shy away from weaknesses. Right? Investors smell leaders that aren't the right type of leaders when they're actually um, running a company and they're, they're being defensive about their weaknesses. Bring forward those, re- those weaknesses right away and come up with a solution. Right? When investors hear that, they go, wow, that's, that's somebody that could really – really lead my company. And so those are just some, some tips and tricks to to do that along the way.
1: And investors could actually help you uh, like venture capitalists, put people on your board or bring in other expertise and not just giving you money, but they could give you connections and other ways that can help you in addition to the finances of it.
2: Absolutely. And like I said, there's people that live and breathe. That's what we said before, right? It's, it's, there's a lot of things as an entrepreneur you're just not going to have the context of, but plenty other uh, people do and certainly raising money and Financing is one of those.
1: How about staying domestic versus going overseas? A lot of people think there may be more growth opportunities overseas than here. What would you recommend in that area? You know, obviously, that's a decision very specific to the business. Here's what I would say. Being
2: focused as an entrepreneur and and not chasing everything is really, really important. Remember, the nature of the beast is you have limited resources. And when you have limited resources, the key thing to do is pick something and stay with it. You know, by definition you're going to encounter difficulties. What you're doing, arguably, is new. And if every time you encounter a difficulty, you bounce from opportunity to opportunity, it becomes very difficult to actually get any kind of depth or traction with the scarce resources you have. So when it comes to domestic versus international, certainly it's a little more of the wild, wild west and there are opportunities. But you've really got to make sure that your product or service fits in that market. And then if it does, go at it like gangbusters, but you've really got to make the leap that that's the market that makes the most sense for you.
1: Say you're doing that, say you're off to a good start, uh, you've got some real traction, but then you start attracting competitors that who see you. How do you kind of keep your momentum going when maybe better-financed competitors are going after your market?
2: So there's always going to be competition for almost everything these days. You just have to wake up and think about that uh, you know, and embrace that. So you've got to figure out ways to use perhaps the strength of your competitors against them, right? If you're, if you're making cookies, right, and somebody's making cookies at scale, right, talk about how the homemade nature of your cookies are really your rub, right? So, so there's always going to be competition. You've got to figure out a way to go to market in a different way that helps you win regardless of the competition. Um, I will say, however, that a lot of the criteria for success right now is speed to market. And so uh, sometimes that just requires capital. And that goes back to my comments before about I think there are lots and lots of entrepreneurial ideas these days that are actually really appropriate for partnering with companies in corporate America that have the resources that you don't have. You know, if I were to start my business today uh, in healthcare, I actually wouldn't build the business. I would go to American Express, I would go to United Healthcare or Cigna because if I can do something that helps them win, then the $1 million that I was going to go get to start my company to raise would mean nothing to them. So I do think when you think about capital and scale, if that's a criteria for success. There are ways to partner with corporate America and companies throughout the world to try to solve that
1: problem. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Michael Dermer. Uh, he is an entrepreneur. He sold his company successfully. Uh, his website is called LonelyEntrepreneur.com, and his book is called The Lonely Entrepreneur. The difference between success and failure is your perspective. Thanks so much for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks again, Michael, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.
0: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.